Hello, and welcome to episode 227 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. A warm welcome to Lindsay Kay to The Modern Manager community. I hope you'll check out the benefits of membership, one of which is extended interviews with my guests, so you get even more insights and wisdom from each expert. Learn more at themodernmanager.com slash join. Today's guest is Robert Jordan. Robert is the CEO of Interim Execs, which matches up top executives with companies around the world. Based on research with thousands of leaders and companies, he and Olivia Wagner wrote, Right Leader, Right Time. Discover your leadership style for a winning career and company. And they've launched the FABS Leadership Assessment, a free assessment at rightleader.com designed to help leaders and organizations perform better. Jordan is also the author of How They Did It, Billion Dollar Insights from the Heart of America. Robert and I talk about the four leadership styles. We get into their strengths and the optimal conditions in which each leadership style thrives and how to think about your career to optimize your leadership potential. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Robert. I'm super psyched for this conversation. I love talking about leadership styles and personality types and all that good stuff that like makes us who we are and helps us just do all the things that we do. And knowing who we are clearly is so helpful because it helps us figure out what we should be doing and what the right context is. So welcome. Thanks so much, Mamie. I'm, I'm so thrilled to be with you on your show. All right, so let's just start with some grounding because this concept of leadership styles can mean a lot of different things. So how do you define leadership styles? We came up with, we, we, we kind of felt like we had a discovery based on our work. So my day job, we have this company called Interim Execs and we're a matchmaker around the world. Organizations call up and they have a leadership need. And so you know, if possible, they're, they're project-based CEOs, CFOs, CIOs, those kind of folks. We put them in. Well, what happened as a result of doing that work for many years is that about 7,000 executives showed up on our doorstep, if you will. And so we got to know, to interview lots of people. The flip side was that in placing, you know, being a matchmaker in placing, we had this ringside seat where we were talking to boards and owners, how's it going, how's this person doing? And we noticed these four very distinct leadership styles, which these excellent leaders were using. And that's what led to this idea that went to the book, Right Leader, Right Time. Let's just dive right in there and tell us what are these four different leadership styles? The four styles are fixer, artist, builder, and strategist, F-A-B-S, or FABS for short. And tell us about each one. Maybe just give us the high level of kind of what makes this person tick, kind of how would you know if this is your style so we can get a better sense of each of them? Sure. The fixer, as the name implies, is the person who is drawn to broken organizations, to crisis. We mean the, the, the label of fixer leadership style, though, very specifically, which is this is the person who loves going into the burning building time after time. So you think of all leaders and managers, everybody has to be good at some point in some kind of problem or crisis. 
But the particular thing about fixer style is they are drawn to it repeatedly, which is a key difference. So for example, I've been in business a lot of years. I am not wired with fixer style. I get crises in business all the time, but I don't enjoy it. I have to solve those problems. And I would never be the person that you would want to say, hey, this organization, this thing is broken. Are you the one to dive in? My answer is absolutely not. So that's fixer style. Artist. Artist is the leadership style where this person views the world, views the project as a blank canvas or a piece of clay to be molded. So all leadership styles need some creativity, but this is the person who they are compelled. The standout example in the world right now is Elon Musk. And, you know, they're just, he's, it's sheer off the charts brilliance when it comes to innovation and engineering. But it's interesting because he was deposed about a year ago in a lawsuit and Elon said he was not drawn to the CEO role. He would far rather just be involved in engineering and product design. So a bit of a necessary evil for him. Builder is the leadership style. I know everyone in business is a builder, wants to be a builder. We mean specifically this, this trait of taking a product, a service, a team, a client from nascent, from small to scale. For the builder, market domination is on the brain. And those builders tend either within individual companies, client relationships, or corporations, when that scale has been achieved, they tend to get bored, it's not engaging anymore, and they tend to then look for the next challenge, which is the next product service team that is not yet dominant, where they can put in process systems, people, and do it all over again. When you think of builder, Domination, yes, it could be on a world scale, but most of the time it's not. I, I've spent a bunch of time in Boston, and there's a wonderful bakery in Boston called Tate, and there's a builder at the heart of that business because they clearly have an intention to be the best in the dominant bakery in Boston, but I've never seen them in another city. Strategist. Strategist is the leadership style at scale. This is the individual where they're in charge of complex or or very large teams and where, you know, Stephen Covey had this phrase in Seven Habits of personal span of control. It tends to be that for fixers, artists, and builders, those leadership styles, they're leading teams or organizations where there is a personal relationship. It could be 50 people, it could be 100 people, but typically it, it's not 1,000, it's not 10,000, it's not 100,000. The strategist leader excels where the personal, that factor of personal relationship is, is not primary. It, it's not the way in which you could effectively lead. So does that make sense? It does. And I can, I can imagine like different leaders that are out in the world and in the, in the public, but also different people that I know personally and kind of putting each of them into these little buckets and going, oh yeah, that makes sense. And I can see them in that way. And I'm wondering if, if you've had chances to talk or think about how does this play out on a smaller scale? So if you're running a company, obviously, yes, I can see each of these clearly. But what if you're you know, running a department or you're leading a team? Do you see how these different leadership styles play out on that kind of smaller control scale? It's a great question. And the first thing we want to encourage people is to have a conversation. Whether your team is three people 
10 people, 20, 50, whatever it is, what we're hoping is that this sparks an authentic conversation, that that the better I can get to know you and the more you can know me, the stronger a team we're going to form. And in particular, because one of the psychologists we interviewed in the book, he said, you have to be spiky. And what he meant by that is if you were looking at a chart with many different characteristics of a team of, of what makes for excellence, none of us are everything. It's what we need to be to be effective on that team is to have some abilities that show they would show up on a chart as being spiky, but mine will be different from yours. And in that way, we form a team that is more accretive. The problem with a lot of managers and leaders is, is they're not necessarily spiky within that team. They are not necessarily accretive. And that's something that's something we should be looking at. Yeah, I've heard the concept of leadership molecule before, where we all kind of have our own specialty, but then we need to be connected to others and and build a relationship with different strengths so that when there's a problem, if I as the team leader am not really the best fixer, yeah, I can do some of it. But if I had, know that I have a fixer on my team, I can lean into them and elevate their skill set that can apply right now, right? Like we can we can leverage each other's kind of greatest strengths in these ways. Yes. So Mamie, let me put you on the spot for a moment. I described the four styles, fixer, artist, builder, strategist. Which one are you? What do, what do you think your dominant is? It's not that we would pigeonhole and say you don't have qualities and abilities from all four. You do, for sure. But does any one of them resonate as more dominant for you? So I think I'm a dominant artist. And I don't say that just because I went to art school and I love being a creative. But I actually think that when I look back at my career history, that I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. And everything has been looking out in the world, thinking about what I could do or create or somehow bring something new into the world. And so I think that's where I play the best. Yeah, I'd 100% agree with you on that. It's also, I can I can kind of cheat because anybody that does a podcast has to have a strong creative streak, in addition <laughs> to any other leadership ability. Yes. All right. So you talked about kind of what each of these different leadership styles are. And, you know, I know for myself, I've kind of created my own entrepreneurial path, I think, you know, without really realizing that I'm an artist in that way, but kind of knowing that I'm not really going to work well inside of another company. That's never been how I kind of work best. So you talk about in your book, the you know right leader, right time. Can you talk about the different contexts under which each of these different leadership styles really thrives? And then, you know, what happens when you're the right leader, but in the wrong context or the wrong time? That's a great question, Mamie. And I'm going to start with you because you and I are wired the same way, which is I'm a very, I'm wired very much as an artist leader. And the way we put it in the book is with artist leaders, it's almost to their peril. Artist leadership is is what we describe as a compelled style, which is it, it's the only one of the four where we think it comes kind of prepackaged, that, that you're just wired that way. And the artist leader, you know, supposedly there was a quote from Mozart, which is that he said he wrote music like cows pissed. He just couldn't stop. Right. <laughs> and artist leaders at peril of career and money and fame and everything else, have this need to create. And it tends to be the person on the team, if they are on a team, who is the renegade, the outsider, the discounted, 
They're the one making these discontinuous leaps that can be uncomfortable but necessary. One of the artist leaders we interviewed, his name is Avram Miller. He was a key person on Andy Grove's team at Intel. And Andy Grove, you know, arguably the most successful CEO Intel ever had, he said of Avram, you have to have a wild duck on your team. And he meant you had to have one person on the team who was not just this yes person who was going to agree with everything, but was going to be the renegade and cantankerous and and uncomfortable. And you had to have it. And so I, I hope this gives some light in terms of how these are different or all contrasted, for example, with the career journey of the fixer is very different. The fixer tends to be that early in their career, they're just doing great on a team within a company and they're firing on all cylinders and they're smart and they're getting projects done. And somebody around them says, you know, Mamie's doing a great job and we have this problem. We have a problem with this client or we have a problem in this other division or we got a problem in Singapore. Let's throw Mamie into it and see what happens. And Mamie goes in and she crushes it. And whether that project, that fix, that solution takes three months, a month, a year, two years, at the end of it, Mamie is hooked and she needs that fix. She needs to be the fixer and needs to go into the next broken situation or she is not going to feel like she's firing on all cylinders. The fixer style is more of a discovery that occurs when you are in the working world, what you feel more like you gravitate towards. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm wondering if it it sounds like there is no exact way to have your career depending on your style, right? There's not like this is the best path. But you might find yourself in a situation where you really light up or where it's maybe a little more uncomfortable based on your your style that you've discovered. You are right. There's no clear definition in the beginning. But what tends to be, maybe, is that the further somebody goes in their career, that leader who is being successful, they tend more and more to reject what is not for their highest and best use. And highest and best use is, is something we glommed onto in the book because we just saw that people who were successful and tended to have one of these dominant leadership styles or a dominant and a secondary tended to be over time much more disciplined in terms of rejecting. And this is very easy to say and incredibly hard to do. And I think it's the primary thing that led to really our biggest finding, which is why we wanted to do the book which is that the majority of managers and leaders who are approaching us, they were having these careers, these leadership journeys that were okay, but they were not off the charts successful. And it seemed to us that the number one issue was they were trying to be all things to all people. And that never works for any of us. So what do you do then if you're in your role, you're you know, decently happy at your company, you like your team, you like your job, but you're like, yeah, I, I identify really with one of these four profiles and I want to lean into that. Like, I don't want to be all things to all people, but maybe my job kind of demands it of me. Like, are there things that we can do that are within our control to help create the context for us to be able to lead into, lean into those strengths? Well, I think we all appreciate authenticity. I think that is something that comes through in the genuineness of our relationships. And 
that's the kind of team and organization you want to be in, right? And so in the place in which you are valued, you will thrive and you will stay. And I think what we've seen from the great resignation is so many people who are not satisfied and realized they should just leave and do something else. And they should. All right. So I want to circle us back because we talked about the fixer and the artist, but we didn't get into the builder and the strategist in terms of those contexts that they tend to do really well in. So can you bring us back to what are the contexts in which those two styles really thrive? And kind of how do you know if you're in the right context? Sure. Builder thrives in the context of of being given small teams, small project, and something that clearly just, it hasn't grown up yet. And as I said before, builder is a label that we all want. But for the builder, this is a repeat kind of mantra, which is market, 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 domination, domination. And so they have to be in those kinds of situations. Sometimes that is an entrepreneur. Most of the time it's not. Most of the time that is the person in the organization who's charged with busting through a ceiling. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Strategist, it's so interesting because we, it took us five years to do the book. And, you know, we, we every day we meet new executives and we're in these situations. And it, this is a little like Abraham Maslow's line, you know, to the man with the hammer, the person with a hammer, the world appears as a nail. So now the way I'm wired is that that I see so much of leadership and start identifying these these different styles. And it's fascinating that when you get to the strategist, that the language is completely different from these other styles. You talk to a strategist leader about what drives them and and their careers and what you are going to hear about is loyalty to an organization. You're going to hear about being mentored. You're going to hear about the mentoring that they do and how gratifying it is, even for people that are no longer in the same company. You're going to hear about being cross-trained and cross-functional, all of these things that for fixers, artists, and builders, it's not in the vocabulary. It's not that, for example, that leader doesn't think about mentoring people on a team, but it's just not nearly as dominant a kind of thinking as for strategists. So just very different mindsets. And, you know, we, I would, I would never say to somebody, you know, this is absolutely what you have to do. But it becomes clear over time how people develop their own leadership journey, their own career. And I'm, you know, like the first agent we had, book agent we had, and we were talking to him about the idea when, when we were coming up with it and said it. And at first, and at first he said, I don't know that my career was so defined. I said, Well, yeah, I get that at the beginning. The beginning, he's a very creatively driven, uh, he was he started as a writer and as an editor. I said, but over time, did, was there some coherence to it? And he thought about it and he said, yeah, there was. Well, that's what we mean. This is this operates at a level of nuance and subtlety. It's from it's not something that for most people hits them over the head. I will tell you, for me, I actually had a point in career where it hit me over the head, not literally, but my own journey was somewhat of a point of epiphany. But for most people, I think it's that it makes just more and more sense the longer they go. Yeah, I can see how this is something that kind of is in, intuitive and you start to kind of get a better sense of who you are and what you like to do and what you're good at. And those in very kind of subtle ways influence the career path that you take. 
Yeah. And embracing this is not easy. I, I'm not trying to to trivialize how painful this can be to embrace who you are. It, it's not easy at all because, you know, you know we're, we're, we need to make a living. And people find themselves in positions where they're having to compromise. And, and I get that. It's just what you tend to see over time with people who are successful is they get better at doubling down. They get better at rejecting. They get better at collaborating. Collaborating is something that everybody talks about. But what we've seen with these FABS leaders is it's collaboration on steroids. Because if you have enough confidence and enough security and knowing what you're good at and what you're not good at, you can allow people who've got other kinds of spikiness, other kinds of of abilities to take take charge and to take a lead on a team. You do, and you again do not have to be all of those things. So let's talk about this with your team because you mentioned earlier that you can have a conversation about this. So do you suggest that each person on a team go through your assessment or figure out kind of which is their style and then talk about how those styles can complement each other? Or are there other ways to kind of bring this language and bring these ideas in so that the team as a collective can really leverage it? Well, thanks for bringing it up. What you were referring to is we're we're launching this free leadership assessment, three-minute. It's called FABS Leadership Assessment. And it's just meant to help you and it could help everyone on your team to understand you better and you'd understand them. You don't even have to take the assessment, though, because to hear these styles, it could intuitively be somebody says, oh, I am definitely builder motor. I'm definitely on a strategist. <laughs> and what we would say is have a conversation. That's the practical starting point here. Have a conversation with your team. And are there natural times where you want to bring this back up? Like, I can imagine the fixer is really easy, right? Like, oh, no, we just hit a snag in the project or something's going wrong and, you know, we screwed something up or the vendor didn't deliver and now we've got something and you were like, oh, great, who are the fixers on our team? Let's, like, lean into you. But what about the other the other different styles? Are there moments where it's really clear, like, you know what, we've got, I don't know, something else going on and so we want to lean into our artists or we want to lean into our strategists? It could be at that level. That's a little microscopic. I'll give you like a glaring public example, which is during COVID pandemic, Peloton, the exercise bikes. Peloton was a rock star performer at the beginning of COVID. And the founder, you know, wonderful job as a founder. They made what proved to be a disastrous decision to start a million square foot manufacturing facility in the U.S. And COVID proved to be temporary, or at least the way we all treat it. And so they got into crisis. And my take on it was way too late, the board thinking that a fixer was needed in the CEO role. And that would be the more kind of grand use of that person. It it can be on the team that you hit a small problem and and you're looking at someone who just loves that fixer challenge. But what we would say is, is that all leaders are wired with some degree of all four of these styles. The question is, do you have a dominant or a dominant and a secondary that you feel like reinforcing? Mm -hmm. That's really helpful to understand that kind of the grander scale 
So on the flip side of these strengths, are there the like the negative things, like the downsides of being in any of one of these particular styles or kind of when the style doesn't match the context? Are there kind of unintended consequences that can come from overusing these strengths? Oh, absolutely. Driven to the extreme. I mean, there was there was a historical example, a guy named Al Dunlap. His nickname was Chainsaw Al. He was brought in to Sunbeam. Sunbeam made blenders. And, you know, he just had this slash and burn approach. I think he he fired half of, you know, the the entire company, tens of thousands of people. And it was just a bloody mess. Temporarily, sure, there was some some improvement. He actually at some point, I can't remember offhand which company, but but it really was much more of an accounting fiction that caused the results. And so that that's a leadership style run amok. I can see that, right? And I, I think I remember reading in your book too this that, you know, if you're a fixer and there aren't problems, you might, you know, unintentionally create problems because you like to fix them. So you might want to break things that aren't broken. Is that Am I remembering that correctly? Oh, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. We we actually, it was one of the original sparks for these style names, which was we had done a prior book called How They Did It. And one of the leaders we interviewed in the book, Jim Dolan, he said, you know, if I put a fixer into one of my companies and it's not broken, he'll break it just so he can fix it. And a bunch of the fixers who we interviewed for Right Leader, Right Time, you know, just for fun to kind of tweak them, we asked them that question during the interviews. None of them were offended. All of the all of them had this attitude, like, "Yeah, so what?" You know, it's just kind of standard operating practice for that kind of mentality. But that's not the way all leaders. Think. Right, right, right. Well, and I'm imagining I've definitely been on teams where the person was probably a builder and really wanted to scale something that really wasn't meant to be scaled. It was a kind of the size it was was just fine. But in their mind, they were like, we got to take this thing and blow it out of the water. And, you know, I guess that that's your MO, right? If that's the thing that gets you excited and that's the context under which you thrive, you want to take something, even if it's okay as is, and turn it into something different. You're 100% right. And you're, you're kind of sparking for me, which is that, you know, my day job, we have a business that it's really not meant to scale. Not much. And I'm fine with it. I've come to grips with it. If you're, if I'm going to be great doing what I do as a matchmaker, I, the goal is not scale. It's not like I'm running Google trying to do a billion searches a second. We we actually have a motto about what we do, and the motto is perfect or not at all. And you know, because I and my partner own the company, if if we can make a match for an organization and everyone thinks it's going to go great, okay, let's do it. And if not, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Just don't do it. Love that. And I think this is a perfect place for us to wrap up. So, Robert, can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person such a fantastic boss? So this is a little embarrassing or whatever, maybe, but um, the last time I actually had a job was when I was 24. And I'm I'm so wired as an entrepreneur from that point on. I And I was not like, I didn't come from money, but from that point on, I was launching my own companies. But I will tell you at one point, I had a project with a company called PV Powered, and they were the foremost inventor of a new design of a solar inverter. So you got a solar, you got a solar panel on the roof of the house or a building. The way you get power on a grid is this thing called an inverter. Okay. 
So they had better technology and the CEO came in at the same time I came into the, to the company. I was a interim executive there and we were kind of working in partnership and we hit a crisis at one point because it was the great recession came on. And, you know, when you hit, when there's a recession and it was a bad one, you know, everything's going wrong. You're running out of money. It's early stage, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, there was feedback on the CEO that his name is Greg Patterson, that the organization was not as lean as it should be. And it was criticism from an outside company that was looking at buying us. And it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing for him as the CEO. And I reported it to him because I had heard from that outside company. Okay. And I wanted to know what his reaction was going to be. In particular, was he going to go tell the board? Was I going to go tell the board? Was he going to try to defend himself? And he did something remarkable. I said, these are the criticisms they have of the company. It was being polite. It was really criticisms of him. And he heard it out and he said, you have to go tell the board. I know you will and you should. And that's all. He didn't even try to defend himself. And I thought, this is one of the greatest acts of integrity I've seen from a leader is not to be defensive. The definition of defensive is defending yourself. And he didn't feel a need to do it. Or even if he did, he didn't do it. And the board took it. And they he, he retained their confidence. They didn't fire him. And I just thought it was one of the most remarkable acts of leadership I've ever seen. And I still revere him, Greg Patterson, for doing something that courageous. Wow. Sorry, it's a long example, but I just, I, I it still amazes me. I love it. I mean, integrity as a leader and being able to hold that feedback without being defensive is not easy. So really incredible. Thank you for sharing. And lastly, where can people learn more about you, get a copy of your book and all that good stuff? Well, thank you. The The book, uh, Right Leader, Right Time, it's at all the usual uh, places, you know, Barnes & Noble and Target Online and, of course, Amazon. I can be reached at interimexecs.com. And the FABS Leadership Assessment is at rightleader.com. Thank you again so much for joining me. Such a fun conversation. Thank you so much, Mamie. It's been an honor. Robert is offering a free town hall-style webinar for members of the Modern Manager community at the patron level and participants in the Modern Manager Skills Accelerator. To become a podcast member, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. Or check out the Skills Accelerator, which has tons of resources, office hours with me, and more support to help you accelerate your rockstar manager skills. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager, you're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.